Wait, weren't you a ninth grader? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. I think of like, you know, a young kid wants to cut up frogs. I'm thinking like eight. <laughs> Welcome to ADSP, the podcast episode 118, recorded on February 16th, 2023. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we interview Zach Lane. This is part two of a probably four-part interview series. If you missed part one, check the link in the description for episode 117. We talk about C++ allocators and lots more. Well, sp- speaking of, uh, of, of strong opinions that you, that, that you hold, you are, uh, I think, famously one of the people on the committee who has um, very low tolerance for, uh, for allocators. Yes, yes. What do, what do you have I against allocators? I want to create a scenario in which allocators are just asleep in their bed and then they smell smoke and the allocators try to get out of the house, but I've locked them all with padlocks from the outside. The allocators die in fire. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> I don't want, I want I, I'm not going to say they should die slowly. I want it to be quick, but I want it to be painful. <laughs> I just don't like allocators. I hate them. So to me, the, 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 the killer argument is allocator against allocators is, is just think of vector, like the simplest type that, that we have that allocates memory, right? So a vector at a high-level abstraction, a vector is a thing that manages the storage of heap-allocated buffer of stuff, okay, heap-allocated array of T. Um, and you can, or this is not actually allowed with, with the typical allocator. Um, people have tried to change the allocator model so that you can do this. And the this I'm thinking of is... Uh, make it where you can substitute in an allocator and basically you get a small vector, right? Like it's got a small buffer optimization and then it goes to the heap. Or worse yet, you just drop in an allocator and now it's a static vector. So all of its allocations happen in a fixed size buffer. If you exceed that, it's either UB or you get an exception. There's there's different uh, schools of thought on what to do there, but the idea is it never allocates, right? But it gives the same vector interface, right? That's incredibly useful. The problem is when you do it with an allocator, um, you've already lost before you've started. And the reason is that if you implement vector, you will find that the way you do things when you when you reallocate is completely different based on whether you may or may not be going to the heap, you never go to the heap, or you always go to the heap. So adding a new element, the code looks completely different when you have to re- resize the, the array, right? And the problem with that... Um, is that if you just substitute in the allocator, you cannot make the code change in something like pushback or insert. It's fixed. It only works a certain way. Now, what you could do is you could write the vector where it knows about all these possible styles of allocation, appreciates them uh, as, as alternatives, and there's some kind of static thing about the allocator model where it can detect, oh, I'm a, I'm a thing that never allocates, or I'm a thing that always allocates, or I'm a thing that might allocate. And then you could have this really complicated... <laughs> code for for what vector does i think a better alternative is to say we have three flavors of vector we have the three flavors to do those things and they never deal with an allocator and if you want the old allocator stuff you stood vector and we have the stood to vector that does the right thing right which is it just allocates that's it boom uses new right heresy but that's what it does and then we have another one that's a static vector and it just works with a buffer and then another one's a small vector and i think if we had a good story for people writing a std vector for a std vector compatible thing of their own 
then we would have a good story for standardizing such a thing because we'd have a small interface and you could just standardize a small interface and it's not much work to standardize, just like it's not much work to write it as an end user. I think that is the much, much better answer. But the the big problem that I have with allocators, the thing that started getting me like so dead set against them was when I heard that we added all these constructors to the container adapters. And for those of you who don't know, container adapter is something that takes an existing container and just provides some semantics on it. So like um, stood stack takes by default a vector, but you can always use a deck, any random access thing, anything that, that grows at the end efficiently. So you can push back, push back, push back, pop back, pop back, pop back, and then it acts as a stack, okay? Well, under the covers is just a vector, right? So if you have a vector that has a custom allocator, which is part of the vector's type, this way allocators work, um, you could just stick that into your stack. Like there's no need for the stack to know about allocation or allocators. It doesn't allocate, right? It just forwards through operations underlying thing. But it has all these constructor parameters that are that are optional for allocators. So we, we're polluting these non-allocating things with with allocated parameters. Worse yet. We've done the same thing with um, tuple and pair and now optional. People are trying. All these other things. Yeah, people are trying to add all these interfaces that, that do this allocating stuff to things that never allocate. And that makes me crazy. Like, <laughs> because th there's a non-trivial cost to all these things. Sorry, so what's what's what are these extra construct constructors that are customized by allocators doing? I missed that. That's part. one of the costs. Explaining it to people, teachability <laughs> is hard, right? I'm not kidding. That's like really like what is that doing? I don't understand that interface. Okay, so what it's doing is there is a a notion in the the library part of the standard of uses allocator construction, mm -hmm. right? So all of those things do uses allocator construction on the vector that you pass in, like the in the stack case, right? You 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 construct it with a vector, let's say, okay, and then you provide an allocator. And it uses that allocator, not the one that comes with the with the vector, and it does uses allocator construction to do the the allocation for constructing that vector. Sometimes <clears throat> you might also use the uh, there, there's another interface like just basically the um, the default constructor. You can pass an allocator parameter, so like it, it's now a, a unary constructor instead of the default constructor, and it again does uses allocator construction, except you're not even passing it a vector, you're using the one inside, right? Mm -hmm. So this all begs the question, like, why do we need any of these things? I can just take an existing vector, move it into there, and then I've got the uses allocator construction because I did the allocator construction inside of it. Why are we why don't we have separation of concerns here? The answer is it is a mystery. <laughs> like I've never been able to get a straight answer about why we add those things to those, but the the reason for adding them to things like tuple is that again, the tuple might contain something like a stood string. And so it needs to know about uses allocator construction. Um, and so it needs to be allocator aware is the term of art that the allocator folks use. Um, so I find that to be anathema that something that doesn't allocate has to yeah, be that, that, that is, um, you know, <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings about allocators. I have very strong opposition to uh, uh, to the uses allocator pattern and its its viral nature across um, uh, you know vocabulary types that do not allocate. Um, yeah. But but so so uh, okay so the the your argument for why we shouldn't want allocators in, in, in vector I actually buy buy that that I think that something like a you know a small vector a, a stack vector should be a separate type. But what if I yeah. just like you know, I have my own um, 
like memory pool that I want to, you know, stick into vector, or if I want to have a vector that, you know, is backed by some special memory like GPU memory or some fast memory that's available in my system. Why should I have to write my own vector for that? So this is a classic example of asking the wrong question. Um, you've asked, you've asked a question that has an obvious answer. Um, but it's, it, the answer feels obvious because the, the question is wrong. So I think you should turn it around and say it this way. We know that the number of template instantiations of std vector that contain an allocator template parameter is less than a percent of a percent, right? Like just the total number of instantiations in the world in, in user code is somewhere... Let's be, let's be gratuitous and say it's about a percent. So the real question is, why should that 99% of users have to deal with allocators to support that 1% of users, right? Like we want the standard library to be like useful tools that everybody can make use out of. And if there's some squirrely edge cases, then you write your own squirrely edge case code. But here's the crazy part. Like people are doing exactly what you said. They're, they're, they're making pool allocators and they're using with vector and they're, making, they're, they're getting great results out of it. And that's, that's fine. We already have that. Like we don't we don't need like if you if you want to use a vector with an allocator hey go crazy like we, we, we support that already right there's another so so we can just keep the existing code and just not write any new allocator layer stuff yeah. and we're, we're we've covered most of the people that are doing exactly this case you're talking about then we've got other people like you know EA and Bloomberg where like they've re-implemented the SDL. And they've re-implemented all their own allocators, and they don't actually need the standard stuff because they do their own thing. And so the allocator model has been adapted, adopted by lots of organizations that don't even use the actual like code from the standard library because they really like this model. And wherever they they find something like, well, I'm allocating with an allocator here, but then the, the value type doesn't use an allocator, and they need to be able to pass all that through. They want all they want allocators all the way down. And so they have to have a different organization to their code than, than what is provided in the standard library. And so, you know, to those people, I say, go crazy. Go do your thing, right? But, but don't make everyone else drag that stuff around because, because you're making use out of it, because you are in the 1% case. Now, I, I really think it's more like a percent of a percent if you talk about instantiations. But I think if you're talking about in terms of organizations, maybe it's more like, you know, 1% of users. Do, uh, uh, do uh, automotive companies that have to follow Misra, do they all write their own stuff? Or because I know that I'm not... Uh, I haven't read Misra, but I've heard that they aren't allowed to do like dynamic allocations. And so they, they do a lot of like creating their own memory pools to read from and they have to like yeah. meet guarantees. Do, do they write their own stuff or do, so, do you know? So there, they there are now some stand. it used to be the case that they couldn't use anything in like the C++ standard library, but there are now some yeah. um, safety certified C++ standard libraries. Um, so like in the, um, I I think in the, the latest QNX stacks, which are are uh, is a popular real time uh, system that's used for uh, for various card things. I think in the latest QNX stacks, um, there's an option to get a safety qualified uh, standard library, but uh, that obviously means you know you're not going to be using things like uh, uh, you know vector or string um, without you know your own allocator or something like that it just means that like the the base vocabulary types that the vendor has certified them yeah yeah and i I, so i don't know a lot of the details of misra and i don't know a lot of details about how people work in automotive but i do know that i've heard more general statements from people who do embedded where they say like yeah we just don't use the sdl yeah 
it's just not there. But they use the algorithms, but they don't use any of the Well, and, and it's like it's it's an interesting question for like you know would um, would Nvidia just use std vector for um, GPU yeah. stuff? Um, and you know we have our own version of vector in libraries like Thrust. Um, and that's in part because like Th- Thrust is a really old library, like it has its own version of everything, like it has its own version of tuple <laughs> because like it predates there being a std tuple. But um, right. but the vector that we have in Thrust is actually subtly different than std vector in that if you do something like uh, construct it from a range of things, it does that construction in parallel. Um, so all of the all of the operations of the Thrust vector will do things in parallel in the GPU if it can. Um, and uh, if you look at it, requires a different category of iterator to do that, though, and so it's not. Yes, it's not, yeah, because the, the the vector constructor takes. Yeah, a well, it if it, it it takes a forward iterator, the thrust vector takes a forward iterator and it dispatches to the thing that it can where it can construct them in parallel. Um, uh, if it's like if it knows the iterator category, if it knows that it's like random access iterator or one oh, that it can do okay. the clever That's thing, nice. um, or at least. Let me say this. I hope it takes that code path because that, that code path <laughs> ha- it, it, like exists in Thrust. It might also take the code path where it's just like, no, I'm going to require that you have a random access iterator or the code path where it just assumes. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, so you might think, okay, well, like, like that's, you know, like m- maybe you don't need to have that. But even for the use cases where I don't want the, um, the you know, the basis operations um, to be paralyzed, um, I oftentimes don't find myself reaching for a vector because what I'm often looking for if I'm dealing with GPU memory is like I just want something that's like a buffer where I'm going to be able to like where it will not not try to initialize things because I'm going to create like a whole lot of them and then I'm going to do something in parallel on the device where I'm going to initialize them. And so in like both yeah. of those cases um, where like on paper what I really want is the moral equivalent of a vector with my own allocator. In reality, I had to go and create my own thing because I needed something that was actually different from vector. And so perhaps perhaps you do make a a, a compelling case here. And if we lived in a world where it was easier to write vector-like things, um, where you didn't have to write 64, you know, methods for something to be vector-like, maybe there would be less of a compelling argument for, or maybe people would feel less compelled to in- insist that things like vector um, support allocators because it'd be easier for them to write their yeah. own. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly <clears throat> the kind of thing that, that I want. I think David Stone wants, and you know, David Stone and I disagree on so many technical things that if you knew the two of us, you'd be like, wait a minute, they agree on this. <laughs> like <laughs> this is a, I think it's, it's a significant agreement that, that we both want that to be like sort of embarrassingly easy. Like I want a vector here with how I write a vector and I'm, I'm done with, you know, I, it takes me four hours, including unit tests or something like this, right? We want it to be that easy. Um, and, you know, one thing that reminded me of when you when you started talking there was I, I would, I mean, obviously you don't have exceptions uh, in, in the runtime model on, on CUDA, right? So you probably also have a vector that does two-stage initialization, which is what they do in EA, right? That's yeah. another thing, uh, EAS deal, right? So you, you can you construct the vector and then you initialize it with stuff uh, because the construction is essentially a no-op. It's just a, you know... Uh, it's it's a it's an empty struct at that point. It doesn't do anything in the constructor because the only way to communicate out of an instructor uh, out of a constructor that something went wrong is to throw an exception. If you can't throw an exception, you can't really have real constructors, right? So you end up having all these no op constructors or like um, pod types when that was still a thing, but pod like types, like literal types that don't have construction. And then you do some initialization step, and then that can return like uh, an error code or something like that that you can check. And <clears throat> so that, that's another aspect is that a lot of times these 
when people talk about I need to use pool allocation because I'm on embedded, they really don't understand the the, the environment. They're making an argument that doesn't work with a vector anyway because yeah, work. like like you like by, by the same logic that we use to um, uh, to rationalize a vector having an allocator parameter. You could also rationalize vector having a param a template parameter that somehow describes like its error handling policy, or like any other yeah. number of things. Um, in terms of yeah. what what so the thrust vector is one where you have a you create a host side and then it does the stuff device side so it can throw an exception. Um, the thing that you use within device code obviously can't. Um, and we also we have a thing internally to thrust that um, that does the two phase thing and that just sort of acts as like an uh, an uninitialized you know uh, uh, set of storage. Yeah. So, uh, what is this obsession with APL? I don't, I, I don't understand. I've, I've, I've heard the, you know, the funny thing is, the reason I started listening to this podcast is because Barry told me that he, he mentioned me by name in one of the podcasts, and so I was like, I'm going to hear my name, and, and I, then I, I started listening to more of the podcast, and I found that Tony did the same thing, <laughs> and then, and then I was like, but now I've heard like all the ones with interesting titles anyway. I've heard a bunch of them. I haven't heard the whole thing, but now I'm just like, I don't, I don't get the APL obsession. I don't, I don't know enough about APL to know why you're obsessed. I'm really curious though. Like, what is it about APL that's so that's so exciting? So wait, uh, two, two, one question and one comment before we switch topics here. Uh, first, the comment we've mentioned these now. So I actually wrote a blog September 9th, 2020, which is called C++ STL like algorithm libraries, which refer to all three of the libraries that we've mentioned. So if if you didn't catch EA, which is Electronics Arts uh, Gaming Company, it's actually based in, I think it's headquartered in Vancouver in Canada. Um, uh, and then Bloomberg and then Thrust. So each of those are like STL libraries. So I'll, we'll link in the show notes at the end of this episode. Headquartered um, in Redwood City, California. <laughs> <laughs> Your memory is aspirational. Uh, well, they have a massive <laughs> campus in Vancouver, technically in Burnaby. Mm -hmm. And the reason I know that is because I don't actually know if this has come up. So I went to three national science fairs when I was in high school. And every single time you go, it's in a different province. But then it usually happened in like May. And then the next October, in the next school year, they would fly all the students in BC down to Vancouver and put you up in a Fairmont, which is like a very fancy hotel. And uh, then they take you on this like little two-day tours of all these different places to like say thank you for representing the province at Science Fair Nationals, which is like super nerdy. But one of the stops was always EA Games. And then they would give you a computer, any a computer game. So I've toured that place like uh, three three times, and it's uh, mm. what's up, right? It's it it's cute that you think that a Fairmont's a, <laughs> a very all nice. Right, Bryce, we get it, we get it. You've right, got points, right. first class. Bryce, Bryce fancy. Everyone knows Bryce fancy. All right. Anyways, so links <laughs> the, to the guy with a sweatband and a, a heather gray t shirt wants to tell us what's fancy and what's not. All right, Bryce, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I might that I might this is gonna probably get cut into three episodes. I might I might make that the cold open on every single one. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, 
I've known Bryce since he was uh, a student of Hartmut's that was like, I'm recently unemployed and now I work for Hartmut. Um, <laughs> and then now he's like, I run everything. <laughs> Like I, <laughs> I run, I run a quarter of the committee. I run this this big organization site, Nvidia. Yeah. So, so Zach's actually <laughs> so. one of the people I've known the longest in the C plus plus world because um, Zach's been to like every. You've been to every BoostCon. Yeah. 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 Me and Marshall Clow and um, Jeff Garland are the only three yeah. that've been to all. And all so the first, you know, right after I got started <clears throat> programming, one of the first things that happened was uh, within a couple months of me dropping out of college and going to work at um, Louisiana State University with Hartmut, I went to BoostCon 2011. And so that's where I met um, Marshall, Zach, probably like a half a dozen or a dozen other people that I met there who, who have been, you know, sort of the long time uh, members. But Zach, but so, so there's this handful of people who have known me since I was this, uh, this little squirt. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you rem- yeah. do you remember my talk from that year i didn't i don't remember oh that's that's that you that's gave good. a talk what that's was the good. talk about that's very good <laughs> it was about um we actually seen as bryce brought it up we'll send you the link after zach it's uh it, it got brought up and he's like there's no way you can find yeah, that and he found listen it. listen i'm a i'm a show notes collector uh supreme and we found that and the slide deck <laughs> I thought you were going to say, uh, let's play the clip. <laughs> You're going to go to the audio right now. I gave a talk about this U tree thing, which was a um, uh, a uh, an a an AST for Boost Spirit. Oh yeah, no, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I li- I remember liking the idea, but not really understanding how to use it. You know, I've I've used Spirit a bunch, but I remember after the talk, I was like, I gotta I gotta read more on this. I yeah. don't I don't get it yet. I wonder if that code um, is still around. But it looked not. like a really interesting technology. <laughs> I, 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 ho- I I wonder if that code is still around, and I really hope not because it was not particularly good. <laughs> <laughs> but but so Connor, yeah. going back to the science fair thing, um, and this and is also just a wait, question. I'm gonna cut you off. I'm gonna cut you off, Bryce. You said Fairmont's not fancy. We had very different upbringings. We're very similar now in terms of our first programming language was on a TI, blah, blah, blah. I, you know. You said the first time I ever. It's not the four seasons. When I was in high school, I hadn't been in a hotel, I don't think, in grade eight, which was the first time I went, uh, or on a plane. Um, Like like when I won that local science fair, (laughs) maybe I did tell this story. I was so excited, like when they called my name, I was literally like jumping up and down. Like I'm sit- I'm standing next to three other people that have won the gold prize. And I'm this little like, you know, four foot 11, gr- eighth grader. And uh, I'm thinking in my head, I've never been on a plane. I've never stayed in a hotel. Like this is like, I've never traveled. Like this is like, I'm thinking, oh my God, I hope my parents let me go because this is going to be like the best thing in the world. <laughs> and uh, And so then like five months or six months later after we go to nationals, and then they fly me down. Like everything's plated in gold. I was just like this, like ninth grader <laughs> that had never like explored the world, and it was it was so fancy to me back then. So like you know you're you're hating, but like grade nine Connor uh, was just like I thought I was on top of the world. I was like thinking about retiring then. You know, it's just like I gotta I, I gotta quit while I'm ahead. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> Anyways, what's your question about the science fair? Uh, well, we will get back to APO. We will get back to APO. Okay. First, you you've reminded me at some point today. I got to talk about my uh, my my flights home from uh, the C plus plus committee meeting because I just I just had a very lucky 
an, an excellent ex- experience, but we'll get to that later. So, so did you win a National Science Fair, Connor? I feel like this is a thing that, this is one of those like Connor facts that I wouldn't at all be surprised no. by. I, uh, the best I ever did is I, I got silver in my category. So there's three different levels, grade eight, no, grade seven and eight, nine <laughs> and 10, and 11 and 12. So it's like a junior, I don't know, something to senior. And then within each of those three levels are like six or seven categories. And then they give out gold, silver, bronze. And then if you place gold in your category, then you can win your whole level. And if you win your whole level, then it's between you and two other people that won from those levels. And like the monetary prizes are like, I think 1500 for gold in your category, 3000 for winning your whole level, and then 10000 for winning overall. So if you win basically the top prize at nationals, you get like 10000 plus, maybe it was 5000 10000 plus 5000 plus 1500 equals like But this like is all Canadian six, dollars. Yes, yes, Bryce. We know they're they're basically uh, you know you can go to McDonald's in America if you win that much money. But um, uh, and so I I, I think I got uh, eight hundred bucks for silver or something, and then managed to buy a laptop. That, that that's um, still that's still like pretty impressive. What was your what so what was your project? My first two were called SCI one, or it was just SCI, and then SCI two, which standed stood for spinal cord injury. And basically, they were studies of uh, planaria, which are these nerve-regenerating worms. And I was like, my theory was, you know, we'll see what conditions, if you cut these worms in half, they grow back faster. And then my theory was that, you know, uh, if you, because there's a drug called, ooh, am I going to remember it? Methylprednisolone, um, which they have on this. No, no, you can look it up. (laughs) Methylprednisolone. It's a drug. It's an anti-inflammatory drug that they keep on the sidelines of football games because if you're able to administer it to the site of a spinal cord injury, like within minutes of it happening, you can actually like fully repair the spinal cord. This all happened because one day I was on a walk with with my mother and I was just, I was like grade seven. This actually might've been grade six because my grade six, or no, it was grade seven. And my science teacher, Mr. Jackson, wouldn't let me do this science fair project because he said it was silly. And then, because I'd ask my mom, how come when you break your arm, you just go put a cast on it and then in a couple months you're good to go. But you break your back and you're either paraplegic or quadriplegic for the rest of your life. Because I think we had just finished watching one of the Superman movies with, um, was it Christopher Reeves? And yeah. uh, he very famously, you know, became um, paralyzed. And she was like, you should do a science fair project on it. And uh, that led me down this path. The problem is, is that the second time I went to nationals with the follow-up project, which is actually where I got my hands on methylprednisolone because my mom knew a doctor. It's <laughs> just asked if I could have some. Uh, the judges, I ended up getting honorable mention that year. And I realized that the judges thought I was cheating because they, a lot of the students, they work with like university professors or like local colleges. And so when they were talking, like, where'd you get the methylprednisolone? I'm this grade nine student at this point saying, oh, like my mom's friend's a doctor. And they're like, yeah, like, so, but who did you work with? And I was like, oh, I just did the experiment in my bedroom. And they're like, <laughs> they just, they, they had these repeat, repeat judges. They kept coming to me and basically trying to figure out. And I realized it was very odd because usually you get like two sets of judges, um, two at a time, and then they do the judging. But they kept on coming back and asking these same, like, you know, are you sure you didn't work with anyone, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> And uh, the truth is, is no, my mom just had a 
friend that was a doctor and asked for some methylprednisolone and explained that her son was doing a science fair <laughs> so, project. So, so if and, I understand uh, correctly, a part of this project was you were cutting worms in half? Yeah, planaria, but they regenerate. And they're like very commonly used in science experiments because they regenerate. Yeah. At, you at just that time, to cut I want some worms in half, didn't you? Uh, I mean, you're a young kid. It's like an interesting project, you know, watching them grow. Wait, weren't you a ninth grader? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> At that time, I wanted to be an immunologist. Okay. I, I don't know. I think of like, you know, a young kid wants to cut up frogs. I'm thinking like eight. <laughs> I mean, this was, this was a rigorous science experiment. I had three <laughs> dishes on top of my, uh, you know, some of them were in the dark, so they were in my closet, and the other ones were in the light, which weren't in the closet. <laughs> so the methamphetamine stuff, uh, did it make the things grow back together? Faster? Yeah, those, those, those were the winners. I don't those think it was methamphetamine, though. <laughs> it was, yeah, Whatever, it's, I don't, it's some long enough, word. Close enough, close it's, enough. it's some scientific word. They're all the same. Yeah. My final science fair project, though, in grade 11 was, uh, was a poker. It was called Project Poker. It, it's hilarious to look back at what it actually was at the time. But basically, I had uh, written an algorithm that I claimed was better than the WSOP computer game um, Tournament of Champions. Uh, but like in, hind- like it was, in hindsight, it was garbage. Like the people, that were, <laughs> the people that were interviewing me just did not know how to ask the right questions. Like, first of all, mm. I calculated these formulas using my graphic calculator and basically did like manual curve fitting of these like graphs of what your pre flop odds are given any two pocket pairs. There's like 1,329 different pocket pair combinations. And like, you can get little programs that give you the, you know, the stats. Uh, but like, I just basically reverse engineered it, but like, it was just like plugging in different coefficients on this formula, which was very silly. And then I based my results off of like 10 games or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then like the betting had was absolutely not part of the algorithm it was only like whether i should fold bet or whatever but however much i bet that was just completely up to me so like it, it was the high in hindsight the whole thing was just like garbage um but uh it was good enough to fool the professors that were judging me um <laughs> so you know um uh, david stone the guy i mentioned before like he apparently when he was younger he was like extremely well known for playing uh, Pokemon online. Mm-hmm. Like he was like his handle, whatever it was, you know, uh, Super Whizbang ninety eight. I don't know some some idiotic handle that he told me one time. Anyway, like he would meet people, um, and if they found out that like you're Super Whizbang ninety eight, you know, they they were just like amazed. They were like, you know, this guy's a god or whatever. So apparently, <laughs> he was like a champion Pokemon player. And one of the things that got him into programming was he wanted to. Um, he wanted to basically make a bot that was, he said, I, it took me a long time to figure out like what the good strategies were and why they worked every time. And so I was like, I could just make this into a program that does this, like that I can mm-hmm. automate what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything crazy, but now that I've done all the hard work of figuring it out. And I thought that was really fascinating that that was, that was one of the things that got him into programming because he, apparently he had not like done much if any programming before that. Yeah, those I love those stories. Uh, we gotta have David on to talk about that. I had a co-op that when Pokemon Go came out, he was very motivated to win that game, and so he wrote a little program that would use the Pokemon Go API and give send him a text anytime there was a rare Pokemon or a Pokemon that he didn't have within a ten minute uh, radius of where his desk was at work. <laughs> and so while he was working, every once in a while throughout the day. 
his phone would buzz and he would shoot up and be like, I'll be back in 15 minutes. <laughs> it was, uh, he was awesome. Um, I just, you know, it's, uh, yeah, your passion for certain things, you know, the lengths that they'll take you to, um, to, yeah, program stuff. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for part three of this four-part interview next week.